Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. After six months of being in prison, I finally got my single cell. So right in, in my cell, I, I was very lonely and, and, and I lost everything. I remember probably I lost my appeal as well. So like everything was gone, right? All the hope was gone. And I, and I was trying to read the Bible. And then I, I remember I landed on the very last chapter of Matthew where Jesus said, I'm always with you to the end of the age. And when I read that, it, it, I got very emotional because that didn't make sense to me. So I cried out loud to God uh, in myself. I said, I cannot see you. I cannot feel you. I cannot hear you. And I cannot touch you. You said that you're right here with me to the end of the age. I mean, that is impossible. And I throw the Bible onto my bed. And then I sat on the floor and I just keep on crying and crying. And then I said to him, but if what you said is real, come talk to me because I have nobody else. Today's guest was a pastor for a few years in Richmond, British Columbia. He's now an entertainment world chaplain. That's a pastor to people in the entertainment industry. But he wasn't always following Jesus. In fact, it was in prison that he met Jesus. He wound up in prison after becoming involved in a high-profile kidnapping. It's an amazing redemption story, and today Bosco Poon will share it with us. Today's guest was a pastor for a few years in Richmond, British Columbia. He's now an entertainment world chaplain. That's a pastor to people in the entertainment industry. But he wasn't always following Jesus. In fact, it was in prison that he met Jesus. He wound up in prison after becoming involved in a high-profile kidnapping. It's an amazing redemption story, and today Bosco Poon will share it with us. Bosco Poon was an aspiring Canadian recording artist when he became involved in some criminal activity that landed up with a 12-year prison sentence. Bosco, tell us a little bit about your life leading up to this. Absolutely. So I was born in Hong Kong, and I came to Canada when I was 12 years old. And uh, when I first came to Canada, I, like a lot of immigrants, I spent the first few years to try to adapt to this whole new culture. Now, you see, my, my mother tongue is Cantonese. And and as you can imagine, coming to a place that only speaks English and maybe French back at the time, um, I had a hard time trying to adapt to this whole culture. Um, a, lot, a lot of people might not understand this. When an immigrant comes to a new place, learning a new language, um, there are a lot of obstacles, right? Um, I might not, people like myself might not be able to fully express ourselves in. In, in, in a whole new language. Now, that doesn't mean that we're stupid. doesn't mean that we are we don't understand things. You know what I mean? So at, at, at school, I, I faced a lot of difficulty with blending in with the, with the people here. Um, I got bullied here and there. Um, people call me stupid, call me names. But maybe in my heart, I, I knew that I, I, I wasn't stupid. It, it, it's just that I need to learn how to use the proper vocabulary to communicate what I really want to say. So that took a few years. And um, so long story short, um, as I um, graduated into high school, um, my English started to get a little bit better. In in the ESL class, I met some new friends, uh, also from Hong Kong. Now, some of these friends are, no, they were... Um, Kind of like, you know, introduced me to a new world, like um, partying, you know, underground party. Started to try out different things like, like smoking, um, 
drinking alcohol and later on weed and even ecstasy. So that took me to a new route of lifestyle that I never knew before. Uh, I used to be a straight A student. Like I, I was on the honor roll all the way up to grade 11 uh, when I met his friends. And of course, after I go, started going partying a lot, I stopped studying and my marks just went south. My parents were really worried about my, uh, my, my future and whatnot. So I started, I, I kept the, the, the partying uh, lifestyle for, for a good year and a half, two years, up, up to my graduation from high school. Um, make the story really short because we have a limited time here. Um, I, at the end of, uh, of that two years, I, I remember I, I was in a rave party. I was standing in the dance floor looking up at the DJ, and I didn't take anything that day. Uh, I, I was sober. I didn't know why, but I, I just didn't feel the, the need to, you know, to, to get myself hard that day. So I just was, it was my first sober party. And, and, and as I was standing in the midst of that dance floor, I took a 360 to look at all these people around me, and I, they all looked like zombies without their own mind, just looking up at the DJs, like a bunch of robots, just keep dancing and dancing. And, and I thought to myself, wow, was I like them for the past two years? And wow, I, it just opened up my eyes, and I, and I didn't want to be like that no more. So I, I slowly quitted the, that kind of lifestyle. And, um, and, and I found a new passion in, in my life. I really love hip-hop music back then, when in my teenage. And back at that time, there weren't any, if there were any, there, there weren't any good Chinese rapper back then. And I just started to study it myself. I started to study the, the Western rap uh, culture, and I learned from different artists like Eminem and Kanye West back in the days, and Jay-Z and all these kind of big-name rappers. I learned from their skills and, and then translated into Chinese and, and and I started to develop that myself and about two years later I started to get signed by um, record labels in Taiwan so I was on my road to, to becoming a recording artist I later on formed my own band my hip-hop crew my own little hip-hop band in Vancouver and then we later on we got signed by EMI Music Taiwan and and right before we, we were going to head off to Taipei to sign a contract and release our first album, um, something crazy happened, very crazy happened. Remember I told you about um, the gang, the mm-hmm. people that, that I, you know, the, the people that you know, brought me to the, the, the underworld scene? Yeah. So some of them were gang members. So, so long story short, I, I had to move from... From Coquitlam, which is a city that is 45 to an hour away from the the, the Vancouver airport, I've been moved from there with my family to to a new place that is closer to the airport because they would be closer to my new career um, and whatnot. So the housing in Coquitlam was on sale. My gangster friends they they they, they went bored for a few days, um, and then later on it turned out to be a kidnapping incident. They, they 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 placed the victim and in in the basement of that house in Coquitlam that we were putting old for sale. So um and some of these things we can find it on internet.
position that is shortest. <laughs> you know, so it's so long. So at the end of the day, I I I enter into a very long trial, two and a half years. Actually, it's two years and ten months to be exact. Um, extorted a lot of money for my uh, my my family. Matter of fact, I used up all their retirement funds um, to fight for my case. Some of uh, some of the the people that were involved, they pled guilty. Even even came up to the witness stand to to stand against me. With all that coming together, at the end, I was convicted uh, with the crime and received a 12-year sentence. And that was when my my journey to to, to the prison begin. Tell us a little bit about that. Actually, before you go mm. into the prison part, your family, yeah. I know in the Chinese culture, uh, the yeah. children and, and what they do in their mm. life is so important. Oh, absolutely. So how was your family, like, what was the family connection like during all of this when this was yeah. all happening? Right. Um, I, I am the only child. So, like, as you said, like, honor in the Chinese culture Actually, it's, it's in, in the Asian culture, is is very important to the family. So ever since I got into the trial, oh my gosh, like I brought so much shame and guilt and pain to the family. Um, however, because I'm the only child, my, my mom and dad they just they love me so much. They 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 were there to support me unconditionally, um, using up their whole retirement fund to to help me get a supposedly good lawyer to fight for the case is is, is the proof of their love in, in a sense. But man, those, those are some hard, those are some very hard day, very difficult time for my family to to, to have to go through um, the two years and 10 months trial, like almost every day. As you can imagine, that's pretty exhausting um, in many sense. Yeah. But through it all, they stood by you and they still showed you that they loved you. They did. Yeah, they did. So tell me then what happened once you were convicted and you, you ended up going to jail. What was that experience like? <laughs> um, and that, that was that was a whole different story. Like the life behind bars is, like, you know, I, I, I watched movie before. I, I watched TV episodes before, like Prison Breaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and that, that, that was the only, like, um, knowledge that I had with prison until I literally being convicted as uh, as a prisoner and placed within a, a prison system within Canada. But everything changed. Everything changed. The, the first thing I noticed was the freedom that we take it for granted when we have it outside. This one is one that once that was taken away from me, man, I, I had no idea how much privilege we have. No matter how rich or even how poor we are in the outside world once we take away that freedom we man we 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 almost lose our very own dignity you know what i mean you cannot call whoever you want i cannot just go to 7-eleven to to to, to get a uh, a bag of chips or, or go to a starbucks to get a coffee you just don't have that privilege and freedom no more and everything that you want to do such as i want to call my parents I have to put in a request form. Like everything has to ask for permission, and I had to get used to the answer no. That's a crazy thing, especially for today's people. Like we expect everyone to say yes to us, mm-hmm. but no, 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 no. In prison, like I had to get used to the mentality that I have to accept that the answer, or most of the time, the answer would be no. <laughs> and 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 man, that that was 
not only an eye opener, it was totally reconstruct everything that I know about life uh, being in prison. Yeah. And it was in prison, really, that uh, you found Jesus. Tell us about yes. how that happened. Okay. Oh, in, in my loneliest moment, I remember uh, after six months of being in prison, and, and right on the first day of my birthday, not the first day, or right on the, my first birthday in prison, is, is, is what I supposed to be, um, I find out my, my girlfriend at the time was cheating on me. So that was my my first birthday gift in prison, and 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 she was kind of like I mean that relationship was kind of like the the, the only thing that I was still holding on to from the outside world besides my parents of course because my my career was gone um, I I was in debt of a lot of money for the lawyer's fee and and all that kind of stuff freedom was gone like you know all that and now this relationship. That I hold on so tight to, or is also like you know, vanished right before me. Uh, I got into a very deep depression. I I didn't know what to look forward to anymore because there's absolutely nothing for me to look forward to with a 12 year sentence. Uh, so I I started not to see anyone. I just locked myself up in in my own prison cell. I had a roommate at, at the time. I just locked myself up at the upper bunk and didn't eat, didn't want to do anything because there's just no hope for me. And then, and then some 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 brothers from from the prison chapel started to knock on my door and check up on me, and um, they dragged me out of my bed and you know told me to to grab something to eat or took me to the chapel and pray for me. Even though at the first glance that doesn't mean a lot, but then that actually helped me to open up my heart to 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 God, so to speak. So there was this one day I remember so clearly. I uh, a few months later, I, I finally got my single cell, meaning I, I don't have a roommate no more. So right in in my cell, I I was very lonely and and, and I lost everything. I remember probably I lost my appeal as well. So like everything was gone, right? All the hope was gone, mm-hmm. um, in a sense. And I and I was trying to read the Bible, and then I, I remember I landed on the very last chapter of Matthew. Where Jesus said, "I'm always with you till the end of the age." And when I read that, it, it I got very emotional because that didn't make sense to me. So I cried out loud to God uh, in myself. I said, "I cannot see you, I cannot feel you, I cannot hear you, and I cannot touch you." You said that you're right here with me till the end of the age. I mean, that is impossible. And then throw the Bible onto my bed, and then I sat on the floor, and I just keep on crying and crying. And then I said to him, but if what you said is real, come talk to me, because I have nobody else. And a few weeks after that <laughs> prayer, um, during a, an evening prayer time, just going to give you the short version of it, um, I saw a very gray light coming up from the sky. And then the, the light came right before me. And then later on, the light entered into my body. And then my whole body just, you know, just got a little bit, not a lot, but just a little bit electrified in a sense. Didn't know what it was. I was very scared. But right after the light entered into my body, I, I have a sense of peace, a peace that I have never, ever experienced ever in my life. 
And then I heard a voice very peacefully said to me that I am your Lord. Don't be afraid. I am your Lord, and I will rescue you. And after I heard that, I just believed it. I believed it, and then the, 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 I felt there is an, an arm, so to speak, wrapped around me. And I felt so peaceful, and then it disappeared. So coming out from that experience, uh, I, I, I was first, I was completely shocked. I, don't, I didn't know what it was. Because my, secondly, I, I did not know how to respond to that. But ever since that experience, something changed. I never get one day knocked off from my prison sentence. But ever since that day, I, I, my spiritual eyes was open, and I was willing to learn and become a servant of God. I, I started to do a lot of Bible study. I went to a lot of different like Alpha course and anything to do with religion. I studied a lot of uh, religious books and, and the Bible, of course. And then later on, um, took some correspondence Bible college courses. And, and finish off a, a, a peer counseling course in prison and, and then became an inmate peer counselor, starting to help out the inmates within prison. And that's how our ministry started to, to, to take form, so to speak. Oh, wow. Uh, what was your mm. faith like before all of this? Did, did you have much of a faith life, or is it through prison that you really truly found that? Okay. Um, I was born as a Catholic. Um, so when I was in Hong Kong, I would go to church with my mom and dad, so to speak. But ever since we came to Canada, uh, when I was 12 years old, because of a lot of stuff, right? I mean, we had to a whole new place, whole new culture, and we didn't go to church no more. And, and, and in my teenage, my belief system was highly tainted by the secular world. Um, so I, so Christian faith, or Catholic faith to me was just a thing that I grew up with. So I wasn't a practicing Christian. Um, but through prison, of course, <laughs> um, uh, somehow it got reignited again, and, and all this happened. And yeah, That's amazing. <laughs> and you eventually ended up um, getting out of, of jail early, and then yes. now you've taken your entire experience, you've put it into <laughs> a book. Can you tell us why you decided to do that? <laughs> Absolutely. So after serving a little bit over four years in prison, as I mentioned before, I was the inmate peer counselor and, of course, an evangelist in, in the prison chapel as well. So together with some of my, my brothers in, in the prison chapel, we reach out to inmates on a daily basis. Because we, we don't have a lot of things to do, and that was our focus. So those years for me was like a boot camp for my spiritual growth. I was growing so fast. In a, in, in, in a speed that I I was, when I look back at it myself today, I, I was thinking, man, but the, the, those rolling speed was, was really, like, amazing. Like, like I won't be able to go that fast, even though if I am a practicing Christian out here, because I was so focused into growing that um, the, the relationship focus in prison. So I got to experience how to do God's work, reach out to people, evangelizing, and, and all that on a daily basis in, in, in prison. Um, so after serving in, in there for over, a little bit over four years, my my institutional parole officer said that, hey, um, your record is 
it's clean, it's good, it's a model example for many people to follow. So why don't you give you, you give, uh, help you to, give, to get a shot at getting an early day parole? So we did that, went back up to the parole board and you know went through all the proper procedures and whatnot. And and of course my institutional record shows that what I was doing was was legit. So I got my an early day parole. Um, I believe I, I came back out on the very last days of November in 2010. So I came back out, living in a halfway house for a year and a half. I came back out and, and hey, I, I had a hard time trying to adapt back to the outside world as well because I didn't have anything. Um, but I, I, just want, I just wanted to serve God. And so I started to serve at different churches, starting to write gospel music, um, um, with some rappings in there. I started to share my testimony at schools, churches, and even different social events and whatnot. So long story short, or even so, I, I became an urban missionary for three years. And then later on, about five years ago, I became a, a youth and, and young adult pastor. And three years ago, I became the, the lead pastor of, of a church that I'm pastoring right now um, in Richmond, D.C. Um, why did I wrote a book? Um, that's a great question, because I didn't want to, to be honest with you. <laughs> I used to be a rapper. So I, I so essay, right? <laughs> writing paragraph and then rapper, it's kind of like they don't mix together because we sacrifice grammar for rhyme, you know? Yes. <laughs> so, so writing a book was like, was like my, my, my worst nemesis. I was like, no, I don't want to write a book. So what happened was, was six years ago, I, I was already having a little bit of, 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 of exposure, going to a different radio station, maybe some local TV station and, 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 and newspaper to share about, about my life testimony. No matter they, 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 are, they are a religious program or not, I just want to use my story to, you know, to help people to know there's hope even in prison and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but, but as you can imagine, like today, we, I only have 15 minutes or sometimes even worse, like five minutes to tell my story. So there's a lot of details I couldn't, you know, really tell my audience. Uh, and for nine months, for nine months, wherever I go, uh, people ask me, so why did you write a book about your life? Why did, at first, my, my, my answer was like, no way, absolutely, no way, I'm not going to write a book. It's, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just going to tell it to you. But after nine months of having different people from different nationalities who tell me, why did you write a book? Why did you write a book? So there, there, there was this one day, I was sitting on in front of my computer, and I was doing a prayer, and then I felt like maybe this is a sign from God. You know, um, I didn't want to do this, but it's not about my preference. With my walk with Jesus, I find that it it is more important to have faith and to be obedient. So I prayed, and and, and I sensed God's presence with me, and 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 I, and I felt like He was really asking me to write my story. So that's how I began my <laughs> writing my stories. So I, I used five years to 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 finish off writing my story, so to speak. Um, because during those five years, I became a pastor, I pastor in a church, a lot of work, so I, kept, I could only use uh, a little bit of, of my spare time to work on it um, um, you know, every week. So, so in five years of making, and then last year, my manuscript won the, 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 the best uh, Can, uh, Canadian New Manuscript Award in 2019. And finally, the book is, is now available. Uh, I'm working with my uh, publication, uh, relentlessly for, for, for the past six months, and the book is now available. It's titled Risen from Prison and Beyond My Wildest Imagination. So there's 21 chapters of, of, 
of, of, of my stories. And uh, the first nine chapters, um, if anyone is going to read it, uh, it's very emotional, it's dramatic in many sense, um, and in, in, in some pages it might even seem hopeless. But read on, because the turning point is at chapter 10, when I first met Jesus in a very tangible way, and, and everything else became, wow, like miracles after miracles. And it, yeah, that, 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 that's the reason I, why I wrote the book and, and make it available to, to, to people so that I, I hope that it can somehow inspire others with, with their relationship with Christ and, and the vision, okay? I have to talk about this. So one, one of the big vision for this book is I really want to make it available, if possible, in every single prison within Canada. But the reason is because there's a lot of famous authors from the States, from, from UK, that write about prison and whatnot. And there are a lot, a lot of stories, even miracle stories, in prison in, in some of the, the, the different countries in the world, like the state and uh, Mexico or even China. But I want my fellow uh, Canadian brothers and sisters in prison to know that even in the very soil of Canada, God is still there. And, and I'm a living testimony of that. Now, I don't know how to make that happen myself because every single prison in Canada is a pretty big ground to, to cover. But I, I believe by faith and God's timing, and if it is His will, um, I, I, I'm hopeful that it will happen one day. Tell us a little bit more about what you're up to now. You're you're leaving for Hong Kong. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your future? Yes, yes. Um, so my my 12 year sentence just completely finished in November 2018. So 2019 was the the first year <laughs> uh, I I I can travel again. So first thing first, I I. I took a ticket to Hong Kong um, early last last year to visit my grandma and some relatives in Hong Kong. When I was there, God just supernaturally opened up. My goodness, I don't I, I don't even know how to explain this. It, it He opened up so many ministry doors uh, in Hong Kong for for my ministry. I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for a new job. I didn't even send one resume. But then Hong, uh, there, there. But then, some people knew that I, I was back to Hong Kong and started booking me up for radio interviews, and 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 asked me to go to different schools to share my stories and and all that kind of stuff. And and I even got invitation to some private um, Christian group within the entertainment industry for me to share my stories and to speak into their life. And long story short. Um, I got a job offer about six months ago to become the entertainment world or entertainment industry chaplain in Hong Kong to, to help people in the entertainment industry to, to know first and foremost, know Jesus, and secondly, to become disciples of Jesus and use their influence to spread the gospel within the, 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 a, the Asia region. This place needs Jesus. This place needs the hope of Christ. And I've been through prison, and God was there with me through the darkest valley of death, and I'm still standing here. So I believe I had a calling to bring the gospel back to my birthplace. So I came back to Vancouver, I talked to my board, I talked to my mentors, I talked to my denomination, I talked to my family, of course. So after six months of discerning and praying and fasting even, um, I sent that God wants me to yeah go and do something there. So I 
that's why I'm going to Hong Kong. Awesome. For people who want to learn more about you or <laughs> want to learn more about your book, how do they go about doing that? Right. Okay. So I do have a Facebook page and an, and, and an Instagram page. Um, you can just type in B-O-Z page, P-A-G-E. So B-O-Z-P-A-G-E. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. And then the book um, is called Risen from Prison. And you, and I use my legal name, Bosco Poon, uh, for my book. If you search that on Amazon, it's, it's up there now. Uh, it's up there on Amazon Canada and Amazon uh, U.S. And I believe uh, my publication is, is, is working their way to make it available at more uh, bookstores uh, across North America and, and, and beyond as well. And one last question um, for listeners that may be going through what you went through early on in life. They're new to the country. They're struggling. They're really just, they don't know what to do. What would you say to them to maybe prevent them from going down the path um, that you yeah. went down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say um, the first thing that I would like to say would be um, just to know that God loves you. Like Jesus loves you so much. And a good place to start to, to learn about that love. It's, it's a Bible-believing church. Find a Bible-believing church. Meet some people there. Talk to the pastors. Talk to the leaders. Um, yeah, just to find good friends within a good fellowship. Because um, the Bible tells us, hey, bad, uh, bad company corrupts good character. So surround ourselves with good company, godly company, that's going to help us develop good character. And there's always hope in God. So I, I would say just find God and, and just seek Him and, and He will be found by you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast Connections with Colleen Hood and Mike Tom. You can find that podcast at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.